Welcome to this very special Pro Video Coalition podcast. This is part of our sort of conversations with Adobe that we're having about a number of things around Adobe and Adobe products. And I've got Mr. Matt Christensen on the line with me, who is a Adobe expert and works for Adobe and was one of the main people behind the team that developed the recent productions workflow, which rolled around about NAB. 2020 time, even though we didn't actually go to NAB, it, uh, we, we did things outside of Las Vegas, but still had our own little NAB um, in the world. Matt, thanks for sitting down and chatting with us here. Yeah, thank you, Scott. Great to be here. The productions workflow, I guess, even though we didn't go to NAB, was was it still considered an NAB release? Yeah, we, we were shooting for NAB and uh, NAB became, became sort of a, a gray, fuzzy boundary as to when it started and stopped, but I, I would consider it an NAB feature. Yeah, I think we had a uh, an NAB at home chat with Van Bedient about productions right when it uh, right around the time of NAB because we did a bunch of NAB coverage here at um, at PVC, but did it virtually in our uh, garages and in our offices and whatnot. I don't know how long how long have you been with Adobe? Actually, it's funny. So April was the release of productions right around NAB time, and April is also my three years at Adobe. So nice, clean anniversary there. Yeah, totally. And I knew you hadn't been there for a long, long time. You're not like an old, an Adobe old timer. Nope. Um, but you came on board around the time I think they were opening up this. It's a Hollywood office or a uh, you know a special LA office for Adobe's video uh, post production world. Yeah, that's right. There was, uh, before I came on and before there was that initiative, there had been a few employees in the LA area, more around like, uh, actually like Van is one of those. Mm -hmm. Uh, but there wasn't really a dedicated engineering effort. And so if we ever were going to engage with or work with any customers in the LA area, it involved flights and hotels and, you know, interrupting some of the engineers schedules to kind of make that happen. And so yeah, and it was decided, and I think it was a great idea to to put some some people on the ground in LA and have a, a formal office to sort of work from, and that led to uh, looking to to hire some people, and that's where I came in. Well, the office is it's more than an office, is it not? It's- I should make a point that at the time I was hired, that office was in Santa Monica, and it's actually in the process right before we shut down all of our offices uh, for the pandemic. It's in the process of moving to Culver City. Okay where there's a new larger Adobe office uh, due to some other acquisitions that were made outside of the Creative Cloud part of the business. So it's going to be a much more larger office. We have our desks there. And then, yeah, like you said, there's there's a really high-end edit suite that we use for our own testing, you know, to just test it on the, the highest-end gear, but also for training and other kind of events. Is the uh, that space and that Adobe presence in, in Hollywood, is that a direct result of Adobe saying, you know what, we want more feature films, we want more broadcast television, we want more series work, or is it more of a, just sort of a natural progression of, um, you know, where, where Premiere, and I guess Adobe in general, but I think we, I think more about this is sort of Premiere specific, but it's not just Premiere. I'm sure there's other Adobe tools that, you know, want to make inroads into, you know, feature films and, and Hollywood. And I use Hollywood with air quotes because that means lots of different stuff these days. I, I would say that it was kind of two forces at the same time. One was we want to be present in Hollywood and ha- like you said, have people uh, on the ground that can that can be part of the post-production community here in LA. But it's also a reaction to the fact that Premiere already was making those inroads. And, and so it's like, 
this is a market that we want to make sure is supported as it as it grows on its own. So I think it kind of comes from both sides. Premier and uh, specifically Premier, I want to say it's not brand new in the world of episodic TV and feature films and stuff. It's been used over the years, you know, quite a lot. I I, I want to pick back in my brain and tell me if I get this right, if you know the answer. It seems like I remember one of the first sort of feature length films edited many years ago on Premiere was a, um, it was called Dust to Glory. And it was about a, uh, like racing the Baja 1000 or some kind of um, off-road race. Does that even, does that ring a bell? That's from well before my time, but I want to say I have heard that title discussed on our team. So that that sounds correct <laughs> to me. So that yeah, that's like a little history trivia. And I don't know if it's 100% correct, but I do remember that being years ago. And as I Google Dust to Glory right now, it's from uh, 2005. I don't know if that was like the first one, but I remember some marketing around, or perhaps it was just the filmmaker's discussion of using... Uh, mm -hmm. premiere on that. And if I'm, um, if we're incorrect here, then, um, I apologize to everyone involved, but all that to <laughs> say, you know, all that to say, like premiere is not brand new to this. We've had, you know, features over the years, there's been television cut on it and stuff, but I guess it seems to me that this sort of push into, uh, this new office in LA and stuff is kind of, it's, it's not only a presence in the space, but how does the engineering side work around that? Because if you decide like, Hey, we want to take premiere to, you know, the next level in feature film editorial, or, or I think more difficult than editing feature films is something like a really big reality show. That's got multiple editors working with tons of media where you have to work really fast, a lot of assistance that that's almost more difficult than your, you know, your typical feature. Is it, an engineering effort for Adobe to be able to get into those markets and, and do well in those markets more than it is sort of a marketing effort? Yeah, I, I would actually agree that a lot of the marketing was happening even before there was an LA office and the, and the LA office is more specifically about the engineering side. So it, it manifests in ways from us being able to easily make appearances at events, you know, like ACE events and things like that in LA, but also doing the kind of engagements we do and going to visit cutting rooms and getting feedback or, or uh, helping people with any issues they might have. So it's kind of a combination of all that, but it's a manifestation of the fact that within Premiere, there exists our team, which is explicitly tasked with these kind of features and these kind of engaging with customers. When you talk about being able to step into big Hollywood post-production workflows. I would like to ask you an interesting question. What was Premiere lacking before you came along? And and one specific feature that I think we're going to talk about a little bit that kind of helped, has helped Premiere make these inroads and has helped Premiere be more, you know, a more proper choice for this type of workflow is this is the new productions workflow that was, that was released around NAB 2020. It's what we've been talking about. What was missing outside of Premiere, do you think, that where you get where you guys the engineer said you know what we have to do some work under the hood to make this a viable option yeah so the thing to keep in mind is that we were talking you were talking about when premiere was being used but it, it's also been used extensively for many years in other markets like broadcast which includes a lot of stuff here in la things like trailers commercials music videos you know all of that kind of stuff and with those kind of projects um they were more or less getting by and things were working well with a single project format. But as we, uh, you know, engaged with and, and worked with more filmmakers and larger TV shows that were trying to use Premiere or wanted to use Premiere, 
the the thing that we kept coming up against was a limitation of how far we could take the concept of a single project. And that that has kind of two main uh, friction points, which is just the size of the project, you know, as a single project file scales, it becomes harder to work with. And then it also, because it's a single project file, can't have more than one user working in it at a time. And so those are the kind of problems that uh, TV editorial teams and film editorial teams would hit. So you mentioned the size of a project. As a longtime Premiere user, and I'm one that has cut hundreds, if not thousands, of projects in, in Premiere, uh, not broadcast television and movies, but corporate stuff, music videos, commercials, uh, yeah. concerts, multicam, you know, lot, lots of stuff over many, many years. I remember a day when you would work in Premiere, bring in a moderately sized project, and a few days into it, your project size would balloon into being very, very large. If you think about a Premiere project file, it's a, it's a, um, you know, almost like a pointer file. It's a small file that, that tells Premiere how to play back the media and it always points back to the media. There is no media itself embedded in a Premiere project file. Your audio clips, your video clips and whatnot live on your media drives and the Premiere project sort of points back to them to simplify things. But we would see those project files themselves begin to get really, really big. I mean, way bigger than you would ever, you would ever think. But Adobe over the years kind of began to slim those, I don't know how you would slim the project size back, but I guess there's optimization going on where the projects stopped getting as big as they did in years past, which I think probably leads to a bit less corruption. Maybe, you know, they're just easier to email around. What was it that sort of began this journey where we went from these huge bloated project files into the single smaller project file. Was that a conscious engineering effort as well? I can't say for certain because it kind of depends on when you would have experienced that happening. But I can tell you that while you're correct that the project format is, you know, a description of everything in the project. So in theory, it can, it's, it's not containing things like media. Uh, at one point it was in an uncompressed form. And, uh, and then at some point, again, well before I started with Premiere, it, it did switch over to a compressed file format. So imagine, you know, having a Word document with 10,000 lines of, of text in it, and then you zip up the Word file. It's going to get a lot smaller. Right. And you can just unzip it really quickly and you're back to where you started. And so Premiere uses that kind of compression in its project file format. Um, and so I, I know there was a point somewhere in Premiere's past where it didn't. So that might be the the night and day difference if you notice that. Yeah, I, I do remember when, uh, I don't remember what version it was, but that was kind of a specific thing that was pointed out in these new releases is that the project files, smaller, more reliable, um, you know, things like that, which is always, which is always good. So what your team did is sort of, I guess, the next evolution of that, pro of that project file with productions, but productions itself isn't a project file. So I know we don't want to get deep into the mechanics of, you know, how do you use productions? Cause we, that's been talked about a lot, but explain what a production is versus a project, because in Premiere, you can say file, new project or say file, new production. Give us a, a, an overview of like that difference between the two. I think the key to understanding the difference is to talk about the middle step, which was which was being built right as I started at Adobe a, a few years ago, which was called shared projects. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of a an on the way to productions step that we had to take to to start to break apart projects so that you were only working in the part that you were working in and someone else could be working in the part they were working in. And that that allowed for our, our first sort of stab at collaboration. 
Um, but the, the sort of conceit of shared projects is each of the projects had no concept that the other existed and Premiere sort of behaved as each one still being a separate project. So it was sort of a, you know, it, it was a thing that worked and it helped a lot of people compared to not having it. Mm-hmm. But we knew that it wasn't a final solution. And that's why our team kept working at and getting to the point where we got to production. So that takes us to what is different about a production. And, and the difference is that because it's contained within a folder that Premiere can identify as a production, it's able to treat those projects differently than it would treat just two unassociated projects that you happen to have open at the same time. Uh, For example, it can reference clips across the project and say, this clip is in a timeline in this project, but I know that it came from the other project and therefore it doesn't have to create a duplicate when it lands in the timeline and that sort of stuff. And without the limiting the scope to this folder is the production, it's, it's not really feasible to do that. So let's talk about that, not having to duplicate the clips from project to project for a second, because that, that's a big one, because in the past, Premiere had always, if you bring in another timeline um, that is you know, referencing media already in your project that came in via a new XML or via a new project import, oftentimes it would have to duplicate that media and you're stuck with two, two clips of, the, of the, virtually the same master clip twice in the, um, in the project. Yep. When you talk about big workflows with feature films or, or uh, episodic TV, why do you think it's important that they do not duplicate clips across projects? Like, why why not have four cl- the same master clip in the same project? Is that is that a pain in the butt? It is a pain in the butt because uh, just for sort of obvious things like if if you need to go in and add a piece of metadata to one of them, which one is the one you should add it to, right? Mm. Or uh, do you have to keep finding it in the timeline and using uh, reveal and project to figure out which one is associated to which? And so we had done a lot of work, both our team and the premier team in general, to improve uh, what you'd call in, in software development the deduplication. So if Premiere could get better at figuring out these clips were actually the same and, and not making duplicates if it didn't need to. And, and we did a lot of work on that. And so Premiere today is the best it's ever been at if some of the clips are already in your project and you add a sequence to it, it can, it can do that and figure things out better, but it still doesn't help you if the clips don't exist in the project, right? You have to, you have to bring in those clips with it. And so in productions, that fundamental rule is no more. And Premiere is able to understand that those clips live in a different project and don't need to be created in the destination project. Well, take us through what, kind of the, the setup and the basic workflow would be for, um, you know, I have a post facility, I have shared storage, I have five editorial stations or 20 editorial stations and five or six assist stations. I've got all those machines networked together with my, uh, you know, magical shader shared storage. We get in several weeks of media from a, from a shoot and it's all sitting on, on the, on the server. I've got three assistants. I've got four or five editors sitting there ready to go to work. What would be that sort of base workflow or or how would you set it up from the beginning in that environment? Um, So you would usually have one person create the production. But once that initial production has been created, uh, you could have multiple assistants start to break apart your footage. You know, if you only have the one, you would just have them work on it, much like traditional project, except they would break apart the footage into components in sort of like the smallest appropriate for the job. So if it was 
uh, you know, a traditional scripted thing, you might have a project uh, for each scene of the script so that later on it's very clear what belongs to what and someone working in scene five can take the lock to that project and not affect someone who needs to work on scene six, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And you just start to build that out. And then once the production is built out, editors come in and, and open their, they might have a working project or they might be working in a act one project or whatever's appropriate for that show. And it just sort of organically scales up until you know, a lot of the shows we've been working with have 100 to 500 plus projects in their production. And it, they just sort of blink and they're like, wow, I didn't realize we had that many, but we've just been working away and, and it, it scales very efficiently. Yeah, I think it does. Uh, th- it would kind of creep up on you, like you said, as you've been working weeks and weeks on, especially on, on, on episodic stuff where you've got multiple editors and you've got multiple mm-hmm. episodes that have to keep some very specific uh, specific timelines. Um, now, you mentioned uh, locking and stuff, and, and we talked about not getting into the mechanics, but I think maybe we do need to get into the mechanics a little bit because um, the idea of locking, and I have to jump back to the legendary avid Ben locking, which was one of the early collaboration features of all nonlinear editing applications. And we have, uh, you know, a locking mechanism in uh, Premiere now with the productions. And I think it's worth mentioning something I see mentioned quite a lot and that I've also mentioned too, that in productions, your project file can be treated like sort of like a bin used to be. You can open up the production in the production, you have different projects, but you can open up projects and still have bins in there. But if you're treating the production, if you're treating the project itself like a bin, how did the team decide, all right, let's make the project almost like, like a bin? To, to me, it seemed like an odd choice till I used it. And then I thought like, oh, this really works well. It kind of makes perfect sense. Just like any kind of project when you're working in software development, there are a lot of pressures to, uh, you know, not reinvent the wheel. Um you have to sort of work within the constraints of where you already are. And so we looked at, do we create a new type of project file format or a new, you know, dot PR or something that would be this new kind of production bin or production component. And we could have gone that way, but then, uh, you know, we'd be drawing a line in the sand and sort of complexifying the, the offering, right? And you have to work. Is that a word? (laughs) Is that a real word or can we make that? As I said it, my brain was like, that's not a word. Uh, Anyway, so, you you know, we would be making things more complex and then you'd have to be concerned about, well, I have something here in a PR proj, the old kind, and now I want to get it into a production. And the more we kind of workshops, just even conceptually, uh, it came, it became apparent we could just use existing projects and sort of build the production scaffolding around them rather than start from a complete new state i think as i use productions and i used it recently uh, for the first time extensively on a job with uh, two editors and it was an assistant working on a large corporate production where we we all had to access each other's stuff as a change came came in or a piece of a of the uh of the corporate production came in you never knew who was going to be able to jump onto it first and someone else had to jump onto it the simplicity of the production panel, which is a new panel in Premiere, and seeing this this list of the projects within the production and seeing some color-coded icons that would tell me, okay, I've got this one open, someone else has this one open, I can I have read access to this one, I have write access to this one. It's, it was simplified in a way that made uh, that made good sense and made and made us be able to really easily pick up on it and jump into it. 
Was that part of the design when you talk about moving into more of a Hollywood style workflow that it needed to be easy to use and easy to understand? Yeah, it absolutely was a, a guiding principle as we were designing this and, and you know, drawing on my background working in post-production, I've been an assistant on every NLE that's out there and we have a few others on our team who come from post as well. We knew that it was very important that it, it needed to be easy to understand. And one of the other benefits we get from using the existing project file format instead of kind of remaking it is that you can just take an existing Premiere project file and drop it in the production, or you can take one out and it can open still on its own in Premiere without needing the production that created it. So it's it's insanely flexible. And, and we were really excited that that's, that's kind of how we were able to build it. But then when it comes to talking to people like uh, Avid users or, or people who have used that that sort of workflow before, we we sort of learned from shared projects that we wanted to make it as as seamless as possible. And it was kind of difficult when we were evangelizing shared projects to do a translation because it was similar to Avid stuff, but a little bit different. And and so it was definitely key to us in productions that as we were getting it beta tested and and having some of the first customers use it, that we were very careful to make sure that the questions they asked, we could either address or or make clear so that future people wouldn't even have to ask those questions. Let's talk a little bit about how you were able to sort of bring productions into the world because beta testing it in a uh, mission critical feature film seems like, oh my gosh, that seems scary, but I'm sure you had to do just that. How do you take such a, you know, such a kind of monumental change in how Premiere operates and, 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 and test that in real world environments without, you know, scaring people and making sure you're actually getting people pounding on it in a real world environment? I guess that's part of what the Hollywood office maybe, maybe is for. You make connections to do that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, absolutely. But the the nice thing about it is that the, the the demand or the sort of pent up desire for this feature was already there. People want to use Premiere for a lot of reasons. And so one of the main roadblocks to them using Premiere in these environments or these workflows was everything that we didn't have yet in productions. And so just even mentioning to some of these production or some of these shows that, hey, this is something we're working on and we'd like you to test it. You know, we didn't have to sell it to them. They were like, yes, please. Can we try it out? We'll use it on the show. And and part of it is that with people like Van and other people that work in sort of the field office in L.A., they, you know, have great relationships and they're great people, people. And they were able to, you know, provide the confidence of the relationship that if you do encounter problems, we're going to be here. We can send someone over. We're here for a call. And once you know that you know, we're not just going to leave you in the dark. Uh, people were really comfortable and, and I think happy to to try it out and, and give feedback and help shape it. Was one of the ways to get people to kind of test it out in, in real, world, real world workflows being that you can, at any given point, you can take a project and sort of extract it from the production if it needs to be standalone. So it feels, feels like that's kind of a you know, even an off-ramp as you're trying to get someone to use something new. Because sometimes it's hard to get people to ch to change, even though you can you can outline, like, here's why this update is going to be better. But just look at, you know, look at how many versions of Media Composer in Hollywood are still working on ancient versions because they're just, yeah. they've got established workflows. And I know sometimes it's, it's a um, financial thing to change, but I think sometimes they're just scared. They're scared of something new is going to break. And that's a big ask sometimes to say, here, try something new. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and that is, again, another reason we went with keeping the existing project format as opposed to making something totally new. It simplifies that whole scenario and it keeps it keeps the projects able to sort of talk between premier versions or, and with and without productions. So that was big. So what comes next for productions? If I know you can't talk about like, you know, all the f- future feature future feature coolness and whatnot, but you, on the surface, you look at productions and you're thinking, oh, this kind of, it's simple, it, it, it works, and there's not really much else to do. Well, there is, we have plenty of great ideas of what we'd like to do next with productions. The key thing with software development that's been, you know, coming from, I don't have a computer science degree or a software development background, but coming to that world has been to understand how difficult it is to get that 1.0 of a feature or something out because we had to start, you know, ruthlessly cutting. Do we, you know, does this little thing need to be just so, or can we ship it without that? Because if you never stop and you never put the pencils down, then it never ships, right? Mm-hmm. And then it never comes out. So we do we do have a significant list of things that we already identified ourselves even before it came out that we knew, you know, if we had another six months, we would have done X, Y, and Z. But then uh, a key thing we built into our schedule between April and about now was to not immediately jump on the next thing. And instead, we've been explicitly listening to customer feedback now that it's out and being used. And so you'll see me and some of the people on my team on social media, on some Facebook groups and actively engaging with people who are wanting to use productions or have questions so that we can see, you know, where the rubber meets the road and where the real issues are. So that's that's informing as we sort of build our our list of what's going to come next. Gotcha. You mentioned you don't have a computer science degree or an engineering background. Your background is in post-production. I, yeah, I have a film production degree and I for, focused in uh, post-production. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about this intersection between someone like yourself, who's a, who's an expert in the workflow, who's an expert in the post-production world, and then the engineers who have to implement ideas. Because sometimes, from my understanding in software development, the engineers... And the uh, conceptual people that are designing, that have kind of the experience in the world where the software will live, they are at odds with each other as far as what you need and what can be possible. How, how, does, that, how does that work? And do you just have to tell them to do it or do they sometimes tell you to go pound sand and they're not going to do or can't do what you want? <laughs> I, you know, honestly, Scott, that's been one of the most fun parts of my job is those meetings, sometimes hours long, you know, where we just have to call it like, sorry guys, at 6.30, like we've been talking about this for three hours, um, is is just those kind of things. And and while a lot of times myself or, or the colleagues on my team who have backgrounds and posts can sort of say categorically, well, this is what an editor expects. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times we might want it a certain way, but there's extremely valid engineering reasons why it's going to be better to go this way and we have to find a compromise. And then there's also uh, designers and a user experience input that we get for a lot of these things. And their input is just as valid too. And so it becomes a sometimes, you know, tense or um, combative is not the right word, but, you know, we're very passionate people and we, we all enjoy our, our, our backgrounds and we want the Premiere Pro to be the best. And so, it, it, it's a very interesting melting pot as to how it all shakes out. And so I, I, I definitely enjoyed that part of this is, is getting to have those kind of discussions and hash everything out. You're always right, of course, right? I mean, the engineers don't know what they're talking about. It's always, it's always people like yourself who know exactly <laughs> what needs doing. I, at least that's, that's kind of what I, uh, what I think about it. Talk about like archiving when you're done with a, with a job. 
It used to be, you know, you archive your media, you archive your Premiere Pro project. Productions gives us a new thing now because we have, you know, when you create a new production in Premiere, you get this new folder on disk that, that holds all of the projects in a production. I would often, for years, I've put my um, Premiere projects on Dropbox and I've, I've worked with them off of there. Recently, I've been using uh, PostLab. It's a great, you know, um, mm-hmm. workflow tool. How does that, that kind of stuff integrate with productions? Is it just a matter of me taking the productions folder and archiving that or, or, or doing whatever with that productions folder that contains all the projects? Or do I just archive the projects and not the folder? Or tell me how that should work. I think the the simplest method to it is is the right one here. Just treat that production folder as your project file. And so, you know, you can move it, you can back it up, you can do whatever you like with it. It's it's sort of the atomic unit is that exterior folder of the production. What we've seen a lot of productions do that want to make sure they're backing stuff up regularly is at the end of the day or at lunch and and the end of the day, whatever interval you're comfortable with, you can just zip up the folder. And that sort of serves as a nice, neat, uh, you know, point in time. And you put a little date timestamp on the name of that zip and then you have a clean kind of progressive archive of your own. The autosave system in Premiere isn't doing anything special for productions. It's still treating each of those projects as separate ones. Mm-hmm. So you're you're going to be okay if you have some kind of crash or, you know, if something where you needed to recover one of the projects, but it would be a little, it, it would kind of be expensive. And again, reinventing the wheel, if we had rewritten the autosave system to, to like, you know, auto backup the entire production folder, every interval. So it sounds like the, the productions folder is not some kind of magical new thing that, that Adobe created. It's just a, it's just a collection for all the projects in a production and the, and the magic sort of happens in the, the under, underhood mechanics of Premiere itself and maybe the Premiere project file. Yeah, it's mostly in how Premiere operations like moving between projects work when a production is open versus when a production is not open. Um, anything else you want to cover here? I, I think we've kind of hit a lot of different stuff in this in this little talk i was very curious about the sort of the hollywood integration and a little bit you know a few specific questions about productions that i've seen anything that you want to add that any misconceptions that's been floating around about about productions or um anything like that that you want to address uh not about production specifically but i i just wanted to say that you know anyone working on professional film tv or you know any project really we love to hear from you and one of the reasons I was happy to come work for Adobe and I've really enjoyed it is that I get to do things like this and I'm not just, you know, at a cubicle somewhere testing a button or something like that. It's a very, we're a very open company. And while, you know, we, we have to be secretive sometimes about what we're working on, we're very not secretive about engaging with customers and getting feedback and kind of being out there and a part of that community. And so that's why I like working for Adobe, and so don't hesitate to reach out to us. Very nice. Yeah, Adobe's always a good a good two-way, two-way street off, and um, there are a lot of people that, that have real conversations with real engineers, real product managers, and, and things like that. Um, oh, one other question, or one thing I wanted to mention is that productions is not just for teams and not just for multiple editors working together. A single editor can use it themselves, and I am going to be starting a job in October, a documentary, where I will be using productions because I will be getting a uh, sort of an organized shoot where each little part of the shoot will be in its own Premiere Pro project. So my workflow plan, you tell me this is a good one, is to create a new production for the documentary. And then as I start to put together a paper edit, I will then 
import each little project from each little shoot into the production and then start to build that up into a new project in my production, which will be my main edit project. And that will be me as a single editor using productions um, as a single editor to sort of speed things along and to kind of keep, you know, project files small and just to keep, you know, it, it, just, it seems to me like that's a perfect use for a single editor working in productions. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds like a solid workflow. And you're very, very right there, especially we've spoken to a lot of documentary editors who are excited about this, where you may not be concerned about the collaboration side, but, uh, you know, some of the larger docs we've seen out there that might have 10,000 clips and video files in there can take a little while to open up, even on a fast computer. So you get a huge benefit from when you sit down and open your production, you're just opening the timeline you want to work on. And Premiere doesn't have to sit and touch all 10,000 media files that are ever imported into the project. Only if you go into those bins does it have to go look at those. So it's a, it's a night and day difference for that kind of edit. Totally. And I, the speed advantage of opening a project like that, and I think also just sort of the peace of mind that I, it'll probably feel a lot more stable in my mind if I don't have to wait several minutes for it to load all this media in. It just pops up, you know, my, my main edit project and opens quickly. And, you know, even when I have a 90-minute timeline, as we string out the entire entire film, that'll just be faster to work in on its own than a, a project that has multiple duplications of 90-minute timelines exactly. and lots of cuts, and then, like you said, thousands of um, uh, media files in the project that it's referencing. So I'll report back to you on how that goes. Absolutely. So uh, last thing, while we were chatting, I Googled Dust to Glory Premiere Pro, <laughs> and it was a very early Premiere film. It wasn't edited on Premiere, but I... From what I gather and I remember now, it was Premiere was used to conform it. It was shot on film and it mm. was used to conform and do the final online. And maybe one of the first times they were Premiere had been used in that respect, but tracking key code and being able to go back and um, you know take actual celluloid and get it into uh, an, an online world that was uh, that was Premiere. So it's kind of a there's a white paper that Adobe had put out years ago with a digital film tree. And it's a really interesting read if you want to know a little bit about the history of, uh, of Adobe Premiere and what, what it was doing back in uh, 2005. So hopefully that's still online when this, Very when, cool. this, when this comes out. Anyway, Matt, thanks for the chat. You bet. Thank you, Scott. I'm looking forward to see the next, uh, what's next in the, uh, in the life of productions. Mm-hmm.